0: All right, we're going to go ahead and jump into the message today. We are in week five of our series entitled Letters to the Church. And in this series, we are looking at the book of Ephesians, walking through it. And we're getting towards the end of this series. And the writer is going to encourage us to live a spirit-empowered life. Now, we have a value that we speak about at JFA. We say this, we believe that we are to be spirit-led to be a blessing to other people. A lot of people ask the question, what does a spirit-empowered life look like? And I believe that when we read through Ephesians chapter 5, we're going to get a picture of what that represents, the spirit-empowered life. And I want to start by reading two verses to you out of Ephesians 5, verses 1 and 2. It says this, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. Those two verses are going to be the foundation of this message, and it starts to lay out this this path, this plan for what it looks like to be spirit-led, and it can be boiled down to two words, imitate God. Turn to your neighbor and say, imitate God. Fun fact, this is the only verse in the New Testament tells us to actually imitate God. That seems like a a big calling. It seems like a high order to be able to imitate God. There's, some, there's nothing that's more precious than a, a child trying to imitate their parents. And there's nothing really more funny than that. I'm sure if we were to go around the room today and ask different parents, they would have a story where you walked in and, and if you had a little girl, she was trying to put on mom's makeup and mom's dress. Or you had a little boy, he was taking dad's tools and leaving them out in the yard, and then you have to go hunt and find them. Because kids are trying to Im- imitate their parents, they're trying to resemble their parents. And what this passage is trying to get us to do is to imitate our Heavenly Father. We are to imitate God. Unfortunately, not all of us had good earthly fathers. However, every Christian has a good heavenly father, and as believers, we are to look to our wonderful, gracious, and benevolent heavenly father, and then try to mimic his action and his nature towards other people that we come in contact with. Verse 2 tells us how we accomplish that. It's by living a life of sacrificial love towards other people, just the way that Christ lived a sacrificial love towards us. The sacrificial life of of Jesus and the Father is that, that we're to emulate and to imitate in our own life. When one walks in love and self-sacrifice towards God and his neighbor and his family and his co-workers, that's the essence of the spirit-empowered life. That's the essence of God's love towards us. We understand that that has to be spirit-empowered because on our own ability, none of us can live completely a sacrificial life. We, we can get there to a certain degree, we can be benevolent, we can be generous on our own to a certain degree, but to live a life that is totally sacrificial to those that are around us and completely surrendered to Christ can only happen when the Holy Spirit empowers us. If you look throughout history, you'll see that we as humans are constantly trying to preserve our own way, to preserve our own interests. War are started because we're wanting to preserve our own interests. We, we beat and we pillage and we plunder others to try to get ahead and preserve self. So this concept of being self-sacrificing goes against the nature of the flesh. The flesh is always wanting to put us first, but the Holy Spirit is calling us to put Christ and others before ourselves. And verse 2 calls this a sacrificial lifestyle, a fragrant offering to God. Now, if we're, as we're about to see, when we read through the rest of this chapter, the, 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 the writer goes on to encourage the Spirit-powered life in five different areas, excuse me, four different areas. We are to leave a life of sin, we are to walk in true worship, we are to treat our family well, and we are to honor Christ in all of our business. And as we study these different areas today, I want to encourage you to examine your own heart and your own life and say, Lord, how am I measuring up? to the standard that you have set? Am I emulating you? Am I imitating you in these different areas of my life? Because if we're not, the Holy Spirit can come in and can empower us to live out that life. The first thing I want to show you this is the Spirit-empowered person leaves a life of sin. Let's read chapter 5, verses 3 through 14. Here's what the scripture says. But sexual immorality and all impurity and covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among the saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which is out of place. But instead, let there be thanksgiving for you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or covets, "...has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partners with them, for at one time you were in darkness, but now you are in the light of the Lord. Walk as children of the light, for the fruit of the light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what pleases the Lord." Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them, for it is shameful to even speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed to the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, awake, O sleeper, arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. All of us have guilty pleasures in life. I've been accused of talking about food too much from the platform. You wanna know why? Because I like food, and I get to talk, and I get to decide what I talk about, so I might as well talk about things I like, right? I love food, and so I have a hard time walking by. This week, you guys were so awesome to my family because you made meals, and you guys brought them over. There was several of you did, and I thank you so much because it really helped Charity and I out this week as we, as we moved, but what you guys also did every night is brought dessert, and that's awesome because Knox and I like dessert. Uh, my, my Probably the thing that gets me more than anything is cheesecake. How many cheesecake lovers do we have in the building? Come on, that's a good thing, right? Well, I didn't know, but you can take a Sopapia and you can marry it to a cheesecake and have a cheesecake Sopapia thing. I don't even know what you call it, but it was good. And if you want to eat that Miss Delayla of January, probably sell you one for $30, okay? I don't see her this morning, but if she's here, tell her, and I want a commission off that $30 too, right? So if she was to bring the Sopapia cheesecake... I'm not going to avoid it. I'm going to eat it because it takes too much willpower to not eat the cheesecake. In fact, here's how little willpower I have. That same night, somebody came by and they brought donuts. They were fresh donuts. So I had the sofa, pea, cheesecake, and a donut. You don't know why? Because I like donuts too. I have no discipline when it comes to food. And as silly as that sounds, that's exactly how sin works in our life. We have this desire that's deep within us that we have a hard time even articulate why it's there and we get sucked into different sinful actions of life. We all do it, and we've all done it in the past. It has bondage on us. Many people can walk in a high level of discipline, and they might be able to overcome certain aspects of their life. Many people can abandon certain bad virtues in their life. However, none of us can completely set ourselves free from sin. God is holy. He separates And he is separate from anything that is evil or sinful. And what this passage is calling us to do is that when we are spirit empowered, when we're trying to imitate the Father, we are going to leave the old life behind. It's not just doing better. It's not just trying harder. It's allowing the Holy Spirit to empower us to become a new self where He rewrites and He reworks and He changes our desires inside of our hearts. We have to leave the bad things behind. We have to sacrifice the old life with its passions and its desires. Now, Paul was writing to a culture that's very similar to our own culture today. The culture in Ephesus was laden with sexual perversion and greed. The, garden, the, the goddess Artemis was there, and her temple was there in Ephesus, and much of the pagan worship to her was sexually perverse in nature, and it's a really interesting passage because we see a mimicking between that culture and our culture in America. The primary gratification of the flesh is sex and greed, and so too in America we are driven by sexual perversion and greed. It's rampant in our society. And sometimes, unfortunately, those two desires collide and make terrible combinations of things such as pornography and sexual trafficking, which are both cancers in the American culture today. Some, we, we sometimes look at different things and we say, well, how, how bad is it? How bad is it? What, what's really the harm? Well, when you see sin played out to its worst, it is always horrific to look at. Every two and a half hours, a child is taken in sex trafficking. Seven years is the average lifespan of a child once they're taken. 100 to 155, excuse me, between 100 and 150,000 victims of commercial sex trafficking in America are children. 5.4, that's how many times a child is purchased every day for sex in sex trafficking. Terrible stats, painful things to hear. Paul understands the depravity of human nature. And he says, it's shameful to even talk about. It's shameful to even be a part of. It's shameful to even speak of. We have to leave the old life of sin. So when Paul's telling us not to engage in sinful behavior, he's not trying to be a killjoy. Paul understands the depths of which sin can lead individuals and humanity. And it's a dark place. It's a horrific place. And the wrath of God is coming upon those who practice such sinful practices. That's why we're to not even whisper of it. Rather, according to verse 10, we're to examine and we're to put to test what pleases the Lord. A spirit-empowered believer who wants to imitate their Heavenly Father puts their practices to the test and says, does this practice pass the test of imitation for my Heavenly Father? A spirit-filled, spirit-empowered believer is to walk in the light they're to walk in such a way that they're an open book to other people where they can be examined and, and, and they can be an example. We're not perfect by any means, but we're, we're in the process of sanctification where people look at us and they say, yes, they resemble their father. where to expose sin as sin, according to this passage. We, we can't be afraid to call right, right, and wrong, wrong. We have to show that the sin-filled life is unfruitful, that it's never going to produce anything in life worth holding on to, and that it leads to nowhere. However, we're not to avoid those who do sin. We're to love and win the lost. We're to be messengers of hope. That's why he says to to be the light. We're to to show that that Christ is the only way. That's the heart of a spirit-filled believer. That we want to leave the old practices away so that Christ can be honored where we're full of Christ showing others. Now, the question then becomes, how do you practically live that out? I mean, it's difficult to do. We're talking about the desires of the flesh. How do you, how do you overcome those desires of the flesh? The answer is, you have to put the Word of God in your life. As you read this Word, as you consume this, and you let it start to sink into your heart, it starts to produce fruit in your life that the Holy Spirit empowers, and it starts to manifest in your life. You talk to anybody who reads the Scripture on a regular basis. And they'll tell you there are times that they read it and it comes alive to them and the, it convicts them and encourages them and it builds them up. It's the power of the word and the spirit married in our life. So the first thing we see is that a, a spirit empowered person leads their life to sin. The second thing we see is that a spirit empowered person walks in true worship. Verses 15 through 21 says this, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of time, because the days are evil. Therefore do not be foolish, but understand the will of the Lord. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in, to the Lord in your heart. Giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. The spirit empowered life understands that there are times in which we are to live, and we understand the times and where we desire not to be unwise, but to be wise. There's a lot of foolishness in the world today. Amen. Amen. There was uh, there's different things that you see, you turn on the news from time to time. And you see things that make you just scratch your head. Like the lady who tried to use gorilla glue in her hair. I was like, I don't, I don't know if that was a good idea or not. Right. There's some things that you look at that just make you scratch your head. And yet we are to examine our life and say, we don't want to be unwise. We want to be wise. We don't want to be dumb. We want to be intelligent, wise, making decisions. The spirit empowered person walks a wise lifestyle. A wise person tries to imitate the character of God. A wise person is careful how they walk. A wise person makes the best use of their time. A wise person understands what the will of God is. They carefully study the Word of God. According to verse number 18 here, the wise person desires to be filled with the Spirit. What does being filled with the Spirit mean in this context? It means that they look at the things of God with the intent of allowing God to bring all those things to fruition in their life. That is the linchpin of this passage. How do you crucify the flesh? By being filled with the Spirit. How do you love your neighbor and your wife? By being filled with the Spirit. How do you imitate God? By being filled with the Spirit. When you are filled with the Spirit... The result is then everything you do in life becomes a life of worship. That's why corporate worship is so important. Look at verse 18. It says, Be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, and making melody to the Lord in your heart, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Think about the power of how worship starts to affect our hearts. That's why, well, that's why we have to gather together. That's why we have to sing together. That's why we have to lift up the Lord together. Think about the power of the worship moment for us as in corporate worship as believers. Tomorrow, you will not be quoting my message. Tomorrow, you're probably going to forget many of the things that I say today. But tomorrow, there's a good possibility and a good probability that you'll be humming the tune that was sang on this stage this morning. Why? Because that worship song sinks into your heart. We as Pentecostals love a good worship service. And when you think about the power of some of the songs that we sing, it can bolster and it can boost our lives. A spirit-empowered person is constantly looking for opportunity to lift Christ up. Notice how we sing to the Lord and how those songs become take-home theology for us. We sing those songs from our heart and they mean something to us. What do we do in our times of loneliness? We start to worship. What do we do in our times of brokenness? We start to worship. What do we do in our times when we're tired? We start to worship. When you sing the songs like we sang this morning, Jesus, you make the darkness tremble. That builds your faith. When you sing the songs, there's nothing that our God can't do, it builds your faith. When you think about what Christ has done in our life, it starts to encourage us and builds us up. A carnal person, an unspirit-filled person, when they get in the pressure of life, start to blow up on other people. A carnal, unspirit-filled person, when they get in the pressures of life, start to take out their frustrations on others. But a spirit-filled person starts to worship. Now, does that mean that we all succeed in this? No. We have slips of the tongue. We have things that come out of our mouth that we don't, uh, we don't condone in our own life, that we need to repent for, that we need to apologize for. But a spirit-filled person desires to lift up worship to the Lord. We desire to declare the character of God. We desire to declare the nature of God and the work of God. We desire to lift up the Lord one to another. What's really interesting about this passage is verse number 19. It says, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord in your heart. That's why we need to be around one another when we worship. Notice that we're to pay attention to other people as they're singing. We address one another when we sing to the Lord. You might not have the words to sing in your own moment. You might be in a situation where you need healing in your life and you don't have the praise to sing. You need someone else to sing it to build you up. Have you ever been there before? Sometimes you get in a moment where you're lonely and you need someone else to sing and lift up the Lord because it builds up your heart. A spirit-empowered person desires to walk in true worship. Third, a spirit-empowered person treats their family well. Verses 21 through chapter 6, verse 4 says this. Submitting one to another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and he himself its Savior. Now the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he may sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water of the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle, or Or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way husbands should love their wives as their own bodies, for he who loves his wife loves himself, for no one has ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church because we are members of His body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I say it in reference to Christ and the church. However, each one is to love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and your mother, that this is the first commandment with promise, that it may go well with you that you live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in discipline and instruction to the Lord." Now, here's a few verses we could spend two or three weeks on, and we don't have time for that. However, I want you to see the big picture progression throughout this passage. The Spirit-empowered person desires to imitate their father. The Spirit-empowered person then says, I'm leaving my old life of sin. The Spirit-empowered person then says, everything I do is going to be worshiped to the Lord. And as a result, the Spirit-empowered person is going to love their family well. If you sing praises in church but curse your family at home, you're not spirit-powered. A spirit-powered person leaves a spirit-led home. Verse 21 is the important part, part verse to see here: submitting to one another out of reverence to Christ. Mutual submission is the evidence of a spirit-filled life. Paul intended for us to interpret this command of the home life through the lens of verse 21, because there's no verb in verse 22 in the original Greek. So everything from 21 on flows from the concept of mutual submission. And the word submit is actually really interesting in the original language. It has a military term to it. As a soldier would submit to the army or to their commander. It's a, it's a submission of will and agenda for the good of the country and for his comrades. And as believers in Jesus Christ, we submit our will and our agendas to the good of our family. We submit our will and what we want to the good of our wife and to the good of our husband and to the good of our children and our parents. We don't, we don't try to have a power play within our family. We look at our best interests for our family, for our spouse, and for our kids, and that's the life that we try to live out. This entire section is counterculture today, just as it was in Paul's day. The spirit-filled life cannot create an individualistic mindset. And it has to desire the best interests of those that are around them. The mindset comes against everything that we believe in the natural. Because again, in the natural, we desire our own thing. In the natural, we war to get ahead. This had a problem even for Jesus' disciples. You can go read about it in Luke 22. Jesus walks in on the disciples one day, and they're fighting, and they're arguing about who's going to be the greatest. And, and Jesus comes in, he's like, kings in the world try to submit and rule and have lordship of other people. But if you want to be the greatest, then become a servant. And if you want your family to be healthy, you want your kids to be healthy, then you have to ask yourself the question, what is the best way that I can serve my spouse? What is the best way I can serve my kids? What is the best way that I can serve this family as a whole so that they can be who God has called them to be, that they can be encouraged, that they can follow Christ, and they can live out the purpose that God has placed in their life? This takes the the position Jesus had where he knelt down the night that he was betrayed and washed the feet of the disciples. Now we live under Christ's authority, and he's telling us to submit one to another to honor Christ. There's no better way to imitate the Father than we are serving and submitting to our family. This is not an option for the life of a believer. Submission is the duty of the believer. The submission virtue is should be most evident in the Christian home. It should communicate something to your family. The reason why Paul spent so much time teaching us about the spirit-powered life in the home is because the family becomes the lens for the cross, for the culture. Think about what he said. He's like, wives, you need to submit and love your husbands, just like the church is supposed to submit and love Christ. Husbands, you're to love your wives just as Christ loved the church and died for the church. Parents, you're not supposed to to poke and prod your kids. You're supposed to encourage them, discipline them, raise them up, just as Christ and the Father encourage, discipline, and raise us up. Children, you're to obey your parents just as Christians are supposed to obey Christ. You see how this becomes a lens and a type and a shadow and a model for the world to see. In a world where family is dysfunctional, and divorce rate is through the roof. What better opportunity do we as believers have to model the love of Christ and the image of Christ in his church of the world than through our very families or to teach them or to show them? This image should be in the home. Husbands, if your wives are not blessed because of the union that you have with them, then you're not being a good leader in the home and we're not being spirit-powered. Wives, if your husbands are not blessed By the union with you, then not being spirit-filled in the home. And however difficult and harsh this may be, this is actually a wonderful truth because this is a a healthy pathway to a healthy home. If you're there and your home doesn't have peace in it, the solution is simple. Look at the cross, let the Holy Spirit change your life, and peace starts to come through the home. If there's no peace between you as a husband and wife, look to the cross, look at Christ's example. Let the Holy Spirit change your heart. If there's no peace with you and your children, look to Jesus. Look at how the Father changed your life and how he loved you. And follow that example. Let the Holy Spirit guide you. This is a privilege, but this is also a challenge for us. We're to be patient, kind, loving one another. The fruit of the Spirit is to be evident in our heart. It's the essence of a Spirit-empowered life at home. So the spirit-powered person leads a life of sin. The spirit-powered person walks in true worship. A spirit-powered person treats their family well. The fourth thing I want to show you is this. A spirit-powered person treats their business in a Christ-honoring manner. Chapter 6, verses 5 through verses 9 says this. Bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart. As you would Christ, not by the way of eye service, as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will, as to the Lord, not to man. Knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bond servant or free. Masters, do the same to them. Stop your threatening, knowing that he is who is both you, their master and yours is in heaven and that there is no partiality within him. The cross changes how we look at our boss and how we look at our employees. Why? Because Christ is now our Lord and Savior, and he's gentle, and he's benevolent to us, and we're to serve him wholeheartedly. This passage commands us that spirit-filled people, spirit-filled believers, aren't trying to just go and get by at work. Rather, they work as they work unto Christ. They do everything they can to to point to Christ through their work ethic and through their effort and through the quality of work that they do. Every one of us is going to have jobs that stretch us. Every one of us is going to have jobs that challenge us. But as believers, we do the best that we can because we want to honor Christ in our effort. As believers, as Christians, when we are in our workplace, we should be the model of good employees. We should be the model of good bosses. We should be the people who others look to as an example, because again, we paint the picture of Christ working through us. Spirit-filled believers work hard for the glory of God. They understand everything that they put their hand to has an opportunity to glorify and raise up the Lord in the eyes of others. There's no greater mission field that you have than your workplace. There's no greater opportunity to show a contrast between where you're at and where other people want to go than in your workplace. Some of you are in a workplace where the culture is just terrible. Lots of griping, lots of bitterness, a lot of anger. You, by being a spirit-filled person, can be in that workplace and change the outcome and the culture of your work environment. You don't think it's possible? I've seen it happen. All you have to do is walk in and say, Lord, I am your vessel. I'm going to show up early. I want to work hard, and I'm going to give you glory in all my words. I want to close with this as the worship team wants to come back. Ephesians 5, 1 and 2. Therefore, be imitators of God as the love children. Walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. The essence of a spirit-filled life. The essence of a spirit-filled person is they leave their life of sin. They walk in true worship. They treat their family well. And they treat their business in a Christ-honoring manner. Church, the hour that we live in is super short. The hour that we live in is passing away quickly. You can look out into society. You can see it playing out before your eyes. You and I know that. We don't have time to not allow the Holy Spirit to change our life. This world, your family, this community doesn't have time for us not to allow the Holy Spirit to work through us, to be His witness, to be His image bearer in the world. And as I was thinking about this message this morning, I was thinking specifically about you. There's some of us in this room today that we are walking in contradiction to some of this and we're seeing the evidence of that. He talked about the fruitless life that's apart from Christ. And there are some of us in this room today that you look at life and you say, man, you know what? I'm struggling with my inner peace. I'm struggling finding the inner joy. Perhaps it's because in your life, there's still some sin that has gripped your heart. Christ can set you free from that. If some of you, you're in this place and you say, man, I've been struggling with the joy and the peace in my heart. It's because the life hasn't been a life of worship. Some of you, you've been here, in the, there's been a lot of contention in the family. There's been a lot of pain and turmoil. You need to allow the Holy Spirit to bring some peace and some resolution to that home. Some of you, are dissatisfied in your workplace right now. Maybe, maybe God's preparing you for a new season, but in the meantime, in the gap, you can be that person who gives glory and honor to Christ through their effort. Now, this might sound like it's condemning. It should actually be freeing because it's the pathway to the life that Christ has created us to live. Whenever we get in a moment and there's tension, we have two options. We can live in the tension or we can allow God to fix the tension. And some of us have been living in the tension for a long time and Christ wants to fix it. How does he fix it? By allowing the Holy Spirit to empower you so you can imitate Christ. If you would, please stand with me this morning and as you stand, I just want to talk to you for just a moment, if you'd bow your heads and close your eyes. Christ is good. He's so good to us. And maybe you're here today, and you say, you know what? Man, that's, that's me. There's some areas of my own life where I feel separate. I feel like I'm all alone. Some of these different areas that maybe I've talked to you about this morning, it it resonates with you. There's some sin in your life, or there's some different areas where there's some tension in the family, or maybe here you've been struggling with your worshiping, your joy, or the work life hasn't been good. I want you to know that the Holy Spirit can empower and change that if you just allow Him to do it. And here's what I want you to know this morning: God can do a work in your life. He can rush in. He can fill you up.